do in the winter. Hello and welcome to the 18th of these podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Ulva and Gometra. I'm Alistair Satchel, I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull, and I'll be your host today. In this episode, I talk with Katrina McLeod. Katrina comes from Tobermory and has lived in St Andrews, Glasgow, London and Edinburgh. Katrina is a singer and cabaret artist who goes by the name of Cat Loud when on stage. I first met Katrina when she was a student at Tobermory High School, so it's great to catch up with her and hear about the developments in her career in the arts. Katrina is part of the famous McLeod family in Tobermory, and we talk a lot about growing up as part of a well-known family and her childhood in Tobermory. We then venture further into her student days and talk about the growth and development of her performing career. If you're curious about any of the subjects we talk about, please feel free to visit our website at whatwedointhewinter.com to find links that will allow you to investigate further. Before I hand you over to Katrina, if you have time and you're so inclined, I'm running a short online survey that'll keep open until the first week of February to find out how you engage with what we do in the winter. You can find a link to it on the text along with this podcast file on our website and on social media. I'm looking to build more of an audience for the podcast and I'd like to know how you interact with it at present to allow me to understand how to grow it. Thank you to those of you who have already filled it out. Enough. Here's Katrina. Well, hello. Hello. <laughs> Can I ask, who are you? Who am I? Yes. Who am I? A question I ask myself every day. Um, no, my name is uh, Katrina McLeod, and I am a singer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, fr- I'm from Mull. Yes. Plus various parts of the world. Um, I grew up in Tobermory, and I am now living in Edinburgh. And um, were you born on the island or were you born over in Oban? I was not born in the European Union. Oh, how very interesting. I, I don't know why I'm talking like this. <laughs> uh, the European Union now. Yeah, yes. um, no, I was born in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. So my mum is from uh, Port Alfred. No, she's not. That was my grandmother. My mum um, was raised in Port Elizabeth. So I was, I was born there. Um, my parents met at Duart Castle. Really? On the island, yeah. Gosh. Do you not know the story? No, I don't know how they met at all, no. Oh, it's a wonderful story. And it, I, can, I can talk to you about it because my dad, um, when he does the tours down to Benesson and Iona and Finnefort, yeah. um, <laughs> it's part of his patter. So he'll drive past Dirt Castle and he say, they do a great two-for-one offer. You buy tea and you get a free wife. Oh, lovely. So, yeah. So my my mum was working. I think she, it was... My mum was a primary school teacher in the 80s in South Africa. And the 80s were obviously a very complicated time. Very much so, yeah. So her friend, Patty, um, I believe was the one who instigated the trip. She was like, well, I'm going to go and work at this castle in Scotland for the summer. Do you want to come with me? Yeah. So my mum said, yes, great. Uh, I will do that. And this was, you know, pre-internet. So they corresponded by letter to do her. And my mum came over in, I believe it was 1984, Mm -hmm. although I'm not 100% sure of of the dates, but my mum came over and worked for the summer in the tea room at Dewar Castle. And my dad was driving the buses and would go into the tea room for his lunch. Oh, lovely. And met my mum. And that was that. That's fantastic. 
Yeah. Oh gosh. So do you yeah. remember? Do you remember um, much about growing up in South Africa as well? I was eighteen months old when I left. Right. Um, my 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 sister was three. Mm-hmm. Um, but we went back fairly frequently, and the, I remember going back when I was about five, I think. And I we went we went for a few months actually, and it was over sort of Christmas time. And I went to school in South Africa wow. for a few months. Yeah, so I went to school at um, Clarendon, which was a, a primary school that my grandfather was the headmaster of. So he, he was retired at that point, and I went to school there. And I, my teacher was called Miss Smith. And I remember, yeah, I remember it very clearly. I remember it being a very strange experience. <laughs> yeah. Because it was so different. It was so different from Tobamori Primary School. And I would have been about five, and I had a, I had a uniform. Wow. I had a little plaid skirt and a, and a shirt and a little green blazer. And we would sit in gym and then we'd have this big... And I learned to swim that summer as well. Ah, fantastic. So, and my granny, my granny and grandpa lived there and my granny's sister Nadine lived there as well. So I learned to swim in my Auntie Nadine and Uncle Andres' swimming pool. Fantastic. And an outdoor swimming pool was the peak exotic experience of my life to date at that point. So... And we, yeah, we go back fairly frequently, but I think my earliest memories of South Africa are that, that Christmas that we spent and I went to school and Fantastic. learned to swim and it was, yeah, it was amazing. Oh man. Yeah, it was really amazing. So your mum's folks, South African, where did they mm-hmm. come from before that? Were they of South African origin or were they from... I know, I actually know more about my parent, my mum's parents and that history because it's, it's almost easier to trace because my grandfather was um, from an Afrikaans speaking family right. from a place in South Africa called Oetshorn. So his, his legacy, he's, he's of Dutch origin. Right. Uh, his surname is Van der Vlees. And my grandmother, um, who my my middle name is Nanette after my grandmother and she's a Nell and they were French Huguenot and what is amazing about my my grandmother's side of the family um is that we we actually as a family we went on a on a family holiday and we went to my mum's cousin who lives just outside Stellenbosch okay uh and we went to the Huguenot museum ah. um so my grandmother is a Nell right and we were just we they have a, a like an open archive in the museum and we went to this book that was tracing the journey of the Nell family mm-hmm. and we opened it and it was the first boat of Huguenot refugees came in 1667 to South Africa and there was a Nell family on that boat and we flipped through the book and my grandmother's name was the last name in the book <laughs> so she, we can, yeah, so we can trace her directly as a descendant of the first Nell family of refugees to come wow. to South Africa from France, That's which I amazing. think is incredible. And she's she's the oldest of seven. That's mad. That's great that you've got that that lineage. Um, yeah. Gosh, aye. So that gives you a real clear sense of where you where the family came from. from Very clear. Oh, gosh, and so. Yeah. When you come back to to the Scottish side of the family, mm-hmm. MacLeod obviously is a, a mm-hmm. very well known name, and indeed for the reasons we'll talk about in a, in a moment as well. But what are you aware of the heritage of the MacLeod family from here? 
Um, well, I know that my uncle Robert and my uh, my cousin AJ, I believe, have done a lot more yeah. research into the family tree than I have. But I know that my great grandfather, Big Duncan, I believe, was from Melanudrigal. Oh, up in uh, Westeros. Yeah. Goodness me. And we we still have family in in Melanudrigal. And I'm I'm I, I'll be very ashamed if that's incorrect because I I might. The way I view the family is very much rooted in Tobamori and the hotel. And yeah. I actually don't know much beyond Big Duncan. And then I know that my nana was from Mobin, mm-hmm. but I don't know where her mother was from. Um, and I don't know where her... My, my nana was um, a McCulloch. Yeah, Agnes Jean McCulloch. That's the name of a tune and a half, isn't it? That's great. <laughs> yeah. Because there's Alistair McCulloch as well, the, yeah. the band leader as well nowadays. I think there's a... Uh, McCulloch is uh, such a great name. So, uh, yes, MacLeod and Tobermory. The the most famous MacLeod and Tobermory, apart from mm. obviously your dad, who's the finest bass player in the west of Scotland. But um, <laughs> can you say a little bit about your grandfather, who he was and what he did? Because some of the listeners might might not know about his yeah. life and legacy. Yeah, my grandfather um, was a man called Bobby MacLeod, who was an accordionist and a composer and a band leader and had his own band. I'm, I'm, do you know, I'm not sure when he started his, his career, but I know that he was playing dances in Oban when he met my grandmother, and I think they got married in 1947. Okay. So I, he would, yeah, so he would have been 23 around that time, so he was already performing and fairly well known at that point in his life before he went on to lead bands through the 50s and 60s and recorded many yeah many yeah. things and yeah he was also well known uh, for the the family hotel as well yeah what yeah. what um, when did the 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 Mishnish come into the family big duncan was the first proprietor of the hotel and 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 then bobby took it over from there and what what did it mean uh, to you growing up? No, did, did you know about your? Was he just your shenner, or was he kind of? He... Bobby, my grandfather, my papa, he passed away when I was eighteen months old. Okay. So I, I never, I never met him. I never had that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I met him, but I was, I was obviously too, too little. But obviously, with the hotel, we spent so much time there, and my nana lived above the hotel. So we would go and and see my nana and 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 she was I remember one of my my earliest memories of of her is um, watching the Rangers game. Of course, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with the pub the pub on downstairs and yeah, my nana and the and the pub are very much linked in my in my memory. But you know things like family, you know birthdays and weddings and. Things like that in the cocktail bar. Yeah. I believe I had my my first uh, half pint aged, uh, not legal. <laughs> really? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was a, a a meeting point for a lot of yeah. big events yeah. in our family, yeah. from engagements to weddings to funerals. Yeah. So it's it's special in that respect that I can chart my very early years from earliest memory really I remember Halloween we used to go and see Uncle Bob 
in the pub and wearing masks and I think my dad would phone ahead to say that we were coming so my uncle Robert would be like oh and who could this be oh, lovely. Um, and we'd get a pound and a can of coke Oh, brilliant. <laughs> That's still a pretty good and haul. We'd just, we'd just be in in the pub knowing full well that we weren't supposed to be there, but it was okay because Uncle Bob was at the bar. And you wear a mask, it was fine. And it was Halloween, <laughs> <Yeah>. so... <laughs> oh, that's lovely. You speak with great fairness of your grandmother there. Can you describe your grand to me? My nana? Yeah, your nana. Oh. Yeah, what was she like? I was afraid of her, but like just f- felt very... Pr- protected by her at the same time she was formidable but knowing that you had her affection was one of the most valuable wonderful feelings in the world because she didn't like everybody (laughs) (laughs) um and i i just i we would go and in the flat um her room was the first right so you'd go in and, and she'd be sitting on the bed and um, she she always had amazing outfits. She would wear like a tartan skirt and a beautiful cashmere jumper, yeah. fully made up. And she had this amazing short sort of auburn haircut. Wow. She was very, she's so glamorous. And, and we'd sit at her window. And I think one of the first sort of grown up Christmas presents I ever got was a boy's own CD. Ooh. Oh. And she knew I liked them because I must have sat in her in her armchair by the window and jabbered on about them. Rodan's lovely. Um, I love Rodan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and me and my sisters used to sit in the living room and watch TV and she'd be in the in and I remember so clearly so in her kitchen she had a table with a lazy Susan and I'd never seen anything like this before in my life. I thought it was the best thing ever. And I think at one point we put my little sister on it and spun her around until she was dizzy. <laughs> and it was the best fun ever. <laughs> but every when and when we were in the living room watching TV and it got a little bit too loud, mm-hmm. she would yell, what's going on in there? And we would just freeze out of fear. But also it was fine. It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> she was, yeah. She was wonderful. Very, very fierce, but I've come to appreciate that, yeah, in many different ways. Your family is uh, very close. What was mm-hmm. it like, because I'm an only child, what was mm-hmm. it like growing up and as as part of a, a large number of, of children of similar ages and slightly older? Because I imagine Joan must have been the cool cousin and, you know, the older yeah. cousin. <laughs> Let's make Joan embarrassed. What was, what was Joan like as a teenager? Was she super cool? <laughs> Joan... <laughs> Joan is the earliest babysitter I remember. And one thing that I remember, we lived in the flat above the hotel. We mm. lived in the Royal Buildings. That was our first, the first family home I really, really remember. And Joan, we would play brides um, up and down the corridor of that, just holding a bunch of flowers for some reason. That was that was the fun thing to do. Yeah. But then Joan always, when we moved, um, we we moved to a, a, a house that had slidey doors between the dining room and the living room. Super futuristic. So we used to so we used to play blind date. <laughs> <laughs> Who was Scylla? Oh, Joan. Oh, obviously. Yeah. 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 A lot of so, uh, And she had to choose between me and my sisters. It was like, well, I know who you all are. So, and also, this is weird. Like, you should not be playing blind date with your cousins. 
<laughs> but we were um, obsessed. Oh, and also God. it's a frosted glass door, so it's not like, you know, yeah. we were just, I think that was the feature that was the, the, the best. <laughs> but no, I remember... Um, Joan in particular, I, I remember, uh, you know, my Nana's wake, hmm. Joan was the person who made me laugh the most. Yeah, yeah. These moments bring families together so brilliantly. It's Yeah. The pinch moments, really, in many ways, they just kind of, yeah. So my Drake boys, my Drake cousins, closest to us in age, and we spent a lot of time together. So when my mum was still teaching, we would go to their house after school and we would play we we would play gun games we were really excited so we would play with uh, plastic machine guns in the garden and uh, we would wear a lot of the the hand me down t-shirts and were very proud to yeah. to wear them and it was great um my cousin john introduced me to the video game lemmings but also we would we would write incredibly detailed murder mysteries that involved I wanted to be a civilian all the time because I thought civilians I thought civilian was a posh word for spy oh fantastic so I would be like John I want to be a civilian when am I going to get a gun when am I going to get to do stuff he's like no just just walk up and down the garden you're a civilian that's that's your job <laughs> I'll be like cool I'm just biding my time just biding my time fantastic and can yeah. I ask what does John do for a living now John is a security expert. There you go. Very interesting. So, yeah, he knows all about civilians, etc. Mm. Yeah, he's wonderful. He's also just started an online community called Starling, which is about the community helping to keep the community safe. So if you are in a, a specific city, you can provide certain information about that city to help fellow travellers, which is an incredible resource being people that travel a lot that's yeah that would be very useful indeed yeah yeah yeah. so family is yeah that's that's brilliant that family also kind of defines place i think and and Mm -hmm. both physically and mentally of how we relate to a space the sort of Mm -hmm. the the space that it carves inside us as well i think it's really Mm -hmm. important um let's think so um you grew up in tobermory with a short stint in uh, south africa yeah Uh, what was Tobermory like to grow up? Because when I first met you, I think you were in third or... F- no, you were in fifth or sixth year at school, weren't you? Really? Was it that? I think so, because mm. I came to the island in 2000 and... I, I came first in 2006 and settled in 2007. Okay. So, so think- yeah, so just before I left, really. Mm. Just before uni, yeah. yeah. Aye. So what was huh. what was Tob like to, to grow up in as a child? Oh, when I go way back to primary school, it was it was great. It was, it was it was mixed. I mean, now yeah. that I look back, I feel like going moving into secondary and getting a new influx of new people. You you start to make friends based on on similar interests. Yeah, in my primary school year, I had really close relationships and um, competitive. Mm. <laughs> relationships with others. Yeah, totally. But I mean, I, I've I've always loved school. I'm not afraid to say mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a big nerd. I've always loved school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved primary school. I I and then moving into secondary school. I was talking to my friend Kate over Christmas, who I saw over Christmas, and we've known each other for 18 years this year, and we met in first year. Goodness and she's me. she's from she her family live in Lockdown. Yeah. 
So suddenly when you move into secondary, the whole island opens up and you're like, oh, people live in Salad. People, <laughs> people live in Lockdown. Mm. It was, which is so silly, but it, for some reason the, it, the island became much bigger yeah. when you move into secondary school. And I, per, I think it's incredible to still be friends with, with someone like her. Yeah. Um, Especially because she's from Loch Don. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Despite the fact that she's from Loch Don. <laughs> a very fine part of the island, it must be said. Yeah. Very beautiful. So yeah. um, did you get a chance as kids, once you were in second year, secondary, to go out and explore beyond Tobermore and go down to Loch Don oh. and spend the weekend and all sorts of stuff? And... I mean, I've, I definitely, I think I stayed at hers and, I, and, and also uh, <laughs> Loch Allen. Oh. I say Loch Allen like that because that's probably where I was felt safer getting underage drunk because no oh. one knew who I was. <laughs> I see. Or you thought no one knew who you were. Well, well. Um, no, I, I great great parties in Loch yeah. Allen. Yeah. Yeah, venturing, venturing, and I well, yeah, and in in high school as well. In in Dervig, I had some good good parties in Dervig. When it, well, when I say parties, I mean I can probably count on one hand the number of parties I went to because I I yeah. studied a lot and yeah, was yeah, totally. um, I was um, committed. Mm-hmm. So people talk about the canon as an experience. I think I went to the canon once. Yeah, can you say that's because that's something obviously being uh, twenty seven, twenty six when I came here. Um, yeah, I, it's not something I I, I did. Um, what, yeah. what was the or what is the canon? But the canon is still a legend to me mm. because I I didn't experience it in that way. Mm. The canon is a landmark of both history mm-hmm. and initiation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, that's the thing. When I said I go to Loch Allen. Mm-hmm. to be anonymous yeah. which is a concept now that makes me laugh um i think the canon was this little tucked away spot where you could just hang out and not feel like you were being observed watched. by the time. yeah yeah observed by all eyes in all directions but mm. also it's on a summer night sitting at the canon even now i'm like oh i wish i had a chardonnay mm. so i can understand mm. The attraction. It is. It is a. But it's it's a, a special place. I remember there was there was places in Dunoon when I was growing up as well that you were, because I didn't drink at all when I was a teenager. And mm-hmm. um, if I was out with my pals and we'd go somewhere, there's some places you go to where everyone else was having a drink or whatever, and you'd there, there was something your heart would flutter, going, oh, oh, it's slightly, oh, I don't know if I should be here, oh. <laughs> but it was really nice being with your own peer group and you know what for you were those moments where you said as a peer group yeah this is this is great this is this is us oh i think there was one night when i was in loch allen and i stayed with a friend of mine called hannah and she lived about 15 minute drive from loch allen and she hannah was one of i don't think i've met anyone like her and actually i hadn't seen hannah for about six seven years and then i when i was living in london i went to a protest outside downing street and i walked past her in london and it was lovely it was so nice to see her but it was just a magic thing but i stayed with i stayed with my friend hannah and we went out at night just to go for a walk down to the shore and i can't it might have just been us but it was just it was so dark and it was so clear and i Mm. looked back at mull Mm from that perspective and it was amazing 
But then I think with my group, oh, groups as teenagers are so are so strange. I don't, hmm. I don't think there was a moment where I thought, yes, this is this is us, and we're all connected. And hmm. I think I had certainly with Kate, who's now my, you know, who I've, you know, who's still in my life, and I think there were just little moments when yeah. at break time when you're just farting about by the lockers and having a laugh, little stupid things like that. Yeah. I think that's the same for me as well. It's these moments of friends being together in little bits and it all builds yeah. up into a whole thing. And maybe those friends don't get on, but you get on with those ones and there's maybe someone you don't get on with. And blah. And it's, yeah, it's all that sort of picture of everyone coming together through a bit yeah. different, different connections. Because yeah. the school as well, every every group had their little piece of territory. Yeah, yeah. Tribalism. That, that doesn't, it doesn't, but it, it, it wasn't a conscious thing. It was like, yeah. oh, we like hanging out by these steps by maths. Yeah. So why move anywhere else? Oh, and if it's sunny, we'll go and sit by the wall by the bins because, you know, it's free. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. So That's I nice. always walk past the school and think, oh, that was that was where we stood at break time. <laughs> yeah, if you add it up, it was probably days of time as days, well. Days, days, and no one else was there. It was yeah. just us. But that's because everyone maybe, think, maybe thought, oh, that was their yeah. piece of territory, whereas everyone else was around the front of the building or whatever. Yeah. Oh, so funny. silly. I used to go on lots of walks. Yeah. So my my thing in my family is that as soon as, you know, I was the one that had to decide the movie, but halfway through I'd be like, I'm going for a walk, okay, bye. <laughs> so I went for a lot of like late night walks just because I had some sort of restless energy and needed to go out and listen to music. Mm. I kind of just remember the town from that part of my life when I was an angsty teenager. I remember the town as being dark and my own. So I I... I think about, you know, there's there's one particular street lamp in the school car park that used to go off every time I walked past it mm. for no reason. Mm. Um, and which I I think, you know, now I know it might have been a motion sensor. But mm. at the time I was like, this is magical. Um, <laughs> and little things like I always walk past Antober and I remember being there for like dance classes when I was very, very small. And we used to play tag, like we're running around the building. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, wow. not safe. We were not allowed to do it, but Past we did it anyway because it wow. was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. round the back by the the woodshed with the axe outside it. Mm. Very silly, very yeah. silly things like that. Who was teaching dance at that point? Uh, Cheryl, who was a dance dancer from Oban. We used to go, and we used to go over to Oban and do our exams. Has it come in useful in later life? Those skills from dance? No. <laughs> 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 Give up the grade system on piano. Don't dance. <laughs> no, no. I, I loved dance and I loved competing and I, I yeah. loved dressing up and it was a, it was a really amazing thing for me and my sisters and my mum to do yeah. together. Yeah. But I was never a competitor. So your mum was there as well, dancing too. Yeah, my mum. No, my mum used to drive us. My mum was oh. my mum was the 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 dance mum, but. A lovely dance mum. Okay. Not like a dance dance. Not Tony Harding's ice. No, dancing no, 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 no. Not like a not like a coach, like okay. smoking and swearing. Yeah. Um No. Looking back on it, it was an amazing group to be part of. Yeah. I said it was predominantly women. It was predominantly girls and yeah. and learning. I don't think we were old enough to comprehend what it meant to support one another, but at the same time that was always a part of it. 
and kind of trying to step back from the more complicated aspects of competitive yeah. dance. Like, I, yeah, I, re- I remember I, I the biggest competition, not the biggest competition, but I remember going to one in Oban and you were f- dancing facing stadium seating. Mm-hmm. And I kicked one of the swords and it flew off the stage and I was mortified. And my mum was very, it was, she was, I think, felt awful for me. Unfortunately, the lady that got skewered in the front row felt pretty bad as well. Yeah, I mean, she got decapitated, oh, but it, it was, you know, it was happen. fine. My mum was nice Dance to me. accidents, dance accidents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you didn't always mm. live in Edinburgh. Where were you before? I wanted to go to university and I worked very, very hard through my secondary school experience i was very very driven i don't think i've ever worked as hard i don't think my uh my standards of of well i mean i i studied hard because i loved it but yeah. also because i had this goal and my parents really really wanted me to go to university and and have a degree and and it was always the idea that you know you go and you get a degree and after that you can do what you want and i wanted that for myself yes so what was your first and degree in? In English literature. In English literature. And I went to St Andrews, which was this, the university my sister was already studying at. And I'd been to visit her and I loved it. And I was I wanted to go and to another small place and be by the sea. I, it was It was yeah. one of those things where I wanted a familiarity, but also it's got an incredible English department. And it was just, uh, I... I felt so at home there so that's where I wanted to go yeah I've been thinking a lot about my university experience actually it was was the best of times it was the worst of times it was a funny it was it's a funny old place it's a it's a very funny old place because to go from one small community to another very small community that is not rooted in reality no in in any tangible way is a very strange transition to make and one I don't think I fully appreciate it until now because I am still I'm still friends with a lot of people yes, that yeah, I made yeah. at that time, but I'm not the same person at all. I've it's it's taken me living in th- three different cities to grow in ways that I couldn't in a small town. It takes its time. Yeah, it still takes its time. Yeah, it's, what was what was the the highlight of being in St Andrews? Would you say what was the great thing about St Andrews? Oh, yeah. St Andrews! I started singing in St Andrews properly. I joined a soul band called Soul Food, but that that was the first instance of me being a singer in a band. Mm-hmm. And I shared vocals with another vocalist, and then she was a couple of years ahead of me. And when I graduated, when she graduated, I was the the lead singer of this Fantastic. band. And I spent New Year with the drummer, my friend Jamie, and we were just reminiscing about it and thinking about what I do now in comparison to what I was doing then. Jamie reminded me that I was mortified that I was going to have to come on by myself. I mean, it was 10 years ago, but at the same time, I can't quite imagine being so timid because even in rehearsals, I was so timid. I didn't want to be loud. I didn't want to be heard. Cat loud. (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly. but then as soon as i was there everyone was a bit drunk but they were all screaming and it was it was probably one of the best moments of my life fantastic it was one of the best moments of my life because it was 
Oh, it was so good. And I was on stage with like five of my mates. Yeah, it was magic. So for, after uh, St Andrews, you go on to Glasgow, is that right? Yeah. What did you do at Glasgow? Was it Glasgow Uni you yeah. went to? I stumbled upon a brand new course that was at Glasgow Uni called Theatre Practice and got a place on this course in Glasgow that started that September. So the course was a, a mixture of research and independent practice and then there was elements of collaborative devising and writing and working with other people and and the course itself they deliberately picked people from lots of different disciplines so my friend Hannah was a community arts officer um my friend Julie was trained in physical theater other people were similar levels to me that kind of came from various levels of practice and then my friend Helena was a playwright and it was all these people suddenly thrown in in one room and asked to make stuff together and I my individual pieces were all solo pieces so I was I was writing solo pieces and I really enjoyed that but I wasn't I hadn't sung for about three years it would have been three years since I'd really done any singing gosh so I graduated 2014 having not done any singing for a long long time and then that Christmas and the following January decided that what was missing was music. So I mm. wrote, so I did what anyone who makes that decision would do and wrote a cabaret show. <laughs> Obviously, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was that yourself um, and Finn Anderson that did that? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was Finn. So Finn was a friend of a friend and I was put in touch with him and we made a show together. It was called Cat Loud's Big Night In, is what it was called. Mm. Yeah, that was that was that. That was a long time ago. So we went to the Fringe 2015, and I was living in Glasgow and working at a lovely place in Glasgow called the Project Cafe. Mm -hmm. And they let me rehearse in there at night, and Finn and I would go in and practice Fantastic. tunes on the piano. <sighs> and then we did our first show there, and then on to the festival. So we did Free Fringe. How did it go down at the Free Fringe? Really well, really well. I had no expectations. No, that's a lie. I had very high expectations. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, and got some really, I got some really great reviews. I think I got, I got a, like a five star review one day, and then the next day the toilets in the venue flooded, so we had to cancel the show because the room smelled like poop. Yes, poop. Mm. Uh, peaks and troughs mm -hmm. but no that was that was a wonderful experience and also when I say wonderful experience it was genuinely creatively uh, crucible for yeah. all my ideas and everything and just the number of people that came out every day every day I had people in that I knew and I was overwhelmed every That's single brilliant. day yeah yeah it was the level of support was unbelievable. The Fringe is a very odd thing. I, I've never done the Free Fringe. I've done the Fringe several times itself. And there's this brilliant thing of seeing your friends and making new friends and such intense friendships as well. Yeah. Really brilliant. And these, you know, some of my French friendships are friendships that I still carry on to this day and I haven't done it for years. And, you know, I'm still in regular contact with a lot of folk. But there's also that sense of my show's better than your show as well, which is terrifying within the Fringe. And I was yeah. always 
I was confident in my show, but I was never mm-hmm. competitive with it. So I was never thinking, well, you know, <laughs> the match is much better than you. <laughs> then I was, yeah. I was never like oh, that. No. But you get other people like, yeah, that's fine. But you should no. see mine. Yeah. And well, if I ever go and see someone who's doing anything vaguely similar to me, I'm like, how can I learn from you? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because yeah. you are clearly at a level that I'm not because mm. you're in X venue and because have you're this Lampard, number of yeah, musicians yeah. and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So your university courses are both over. Where did life take you next? So after my first Fringe, um, Finn and I went on tour. Mm-hmm. So we went on tour the following February, which just came out of me coming back from the festival and just emailing everybody. Yep that I could think of and yeah. my method is to just go on Twitter and follow certain venues yep. and then tweet them or email them or follow certain performers and just chart their progress and the venues that they've played in yeah. and if I think I'm similar I'll be like okay cool I'm gonna go and get into these venues and the tour was you know various degrees of success so we did some wonderful dates in the town that Finn's from in, mm-hmm. Fe- in Fife and then mm-hmm. we did the buyer. Mm-hmm which was amazing, which is, so I got to do the Bayer main stage as me with mm. my own thing. Very early stage career, but it was still a wonderful experience. A and, significant thing, yeah. Yeah, being back in this town that had meant so much to me. And, you know, some very strange venues. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as as pair, it was, it was, but it was also, we didn't, neither of us, drive so we were oh touring the country on on public transport <laughs> with the grand piano <laughs> yeah with Ben hobbling about his keyboard in a in a in a carry case so i yeah i admire that man a lot a lot um, he's brilliant as Finn. yeah and then after that so a friend of mine well who's now a good friend of mine but at uni we were in rival bands so my friend Felipe so I was in a soul band and he was the front man of a blues band Mm. called the Blueswater and he got in touch and he produced my next show so I was part of their collective at the festival and I I did a brand new show with a three piece band so I had uh, a drummer and a keys player and a bassist which again was a, sh- a a very new thing, and I look back on that, and I I was I was trying out this this cabaret element. Mm-hmm. This is me th- comparing the place I am now, mm-hmm. where I am a jazz nerd, and mm-hmm. now I now this is the route that I'm going down. And I was singing, I was trying to make a body cabaret show mm. at that time. So I wrote the show kind of like an Alice in Wonderland, down the rabbit hole, blues legend, speakeasy bar kind of mm-hmm. thing. And mm-hmm. elements of it worked and elements of it didn't. Mm-hmm. But that was a really great fringe and I, I made really good friends. with all like, And then I came back and I've been working with the Blues Watcher for the past couple of years. Brilliant. So that was a, 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 a level up in a lot of ways. That's lovely. Yeah, amazing. It was that was an amazing, and that was also one of the summers that I fell in love with Edinburgh properly. Yeah, because I'd been I'd city. been to the festival yeah. for so many years, yeah. and that was one of the years where I was looking at it from very very fresh eyes. Yeah. And then yeah, every every summer since, and then this summer past, I was 
not for so leaving. devastated to leave that I decided to move back mm-hmm. permanently. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel very at home here. Mm. Also, because I only found out recently that when uh, the Isle of Mull ferry mm-hmm. was away, she was docked here, being refurbished just down the road, and I don't know, but maybe that was why. Ah, exactly. Yeah, he'd left something on board. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so London. When, what did you make of London to live in? I was so ready for something new. I'd been living in. I'd lived in Glasgow for two and a half years. Yeah. And I'm a pretty restless person anyway. But I just had this notion that everything I needed was in London, and it was the next stage, and I had to be there because that's where everything was. Mm-hmm. And I. After this amazing summer in Edinburgh, I moved down to London and I thought I I wasn't there for very long when I was just thinking, why did I do this? I've left behind every musician I know and like. Um, I'm suddenly in this massive, expensive city. And I, I talk very negatively about London. I know there's some wonderful things going on there. Yeah. Like it still is the epicenter of a places. lot. Yeah, it's and I have I have very very good friends that that live there and Do you like this? Yeah. I it's just not for me and it got to a point where everyone was telling me you need to give it 2 years, you need to, you know, mm. just wait it out and I just was thinking I don't have 2 years to wait. I don't I I want to start the life I want now. I don't want to be just dealing with it until it gets better. I want yep. it to be better now. I don't have the time. But but I obviously I can look back and say well what I got out of that 10 months was that I did a vault festival for the first time. Mm. Which is this great arts festival under the the arches of Waterloo station which is Magical. fantastic. And I'm yeah. going back this February for for a night. Um, and I made some, I made some great friends, but it just ultimately, it was one of those experiences where you just start thinking, okay, actually, no, my priorities in life are that I want to live in a place where I feel a sense of community. I want to be close to my family. I want to not spend this amount of money being just existing. Yeah. And these are non-negotiable. Yeah. These are non-negotiable. Yeah. But I feel like I needed to catapult myself so far out of my comfort zone to realise that that's what I needed. And also, it was the first time in my life I felt like a tutor. (laughs) I have never felt like I came from Mull until I lived in London. And I was like, this is just not how we do things. (laughs) This is just not how I was brought up. This is not... And it's not a way that I feel comfortable living because it's so... I would have to change it's myself alien. and change who I am yeah. to live here. Not not just live there to survive yeah. is how I felt. I was actually having this conversation last night with, with my flatmate. I met my flatmate in London. So the, the my friend that I live with now, she was my manager at the restaurant I worked in in London before she moved up to Edinburgh. And she came up here to study languages. So if it wasn't for London, I wouldn't know her. Yeah. But also it was my, my so my cousin John lived in London yes. and I got to see him and also my cousins Maddie and Charlotte. And I feel like that was a very significant bonding time for us. And it was wonderful to have someone else yes. there. Yeah. But all, all of the positives from my London experience were spending more time with certain people. Yeah. I, lo- I must admit, I, I, was... I could never live in London, but I love it. I, my, as I said, my grandfather was from Lambeth, and um, mm-hmm. 
I don't know. There's a, this is one of the things I'm wondering about with this stuff. Talking to people again and again is the sense of we something in us resonates with places where we have a family association or yeah. I, yeah. I, and I'm, I can never decide whether this is vanity or whether this mm-hmm. is an actual real thing. And I was talking to a friend who's uh, Iraqi, and she was saying, you know, the minute she's in place somewhere with sand, she's like, right, this is it, fine, <laughs> I'm in the right place. <laughs> and, and I was saying about you know when I go back to places that are dear to me, and I know I've got family association where I can feel the sense of the land and it's it's weird yeah it's uh, but that's that sense of families but, sorry yeah but my my mum's brother lives in London as well and I it was wonderful seeing him more but it's not like it's familiar to either of us because he's South African and his partner's American yeah so it's it's it, I felt like I mean they've been there for a very very long time now yeah but even then it's never felt like common ground it's never felt like it's just a, jumping out of one fishbowl into another and, you know, it's just not quite... I mean, to be fair, I, I maybe didn't give London enough of a chance because I was unhappy yeah, well, that's... before I left. Yeah. So it was... And I kind of was so desperate for an adventure that would crack me open, but it did the opposite. Yeah. It did the, the complete opposite. But that's a vital, vital part of the creative journey of a creative individual to experience yeah. those things as well. That I knew after I'd lived in Paris, if I'd stayed on in Paris, that I would have just disappeared. I would, nothing would have, I would have done nothing because there's too many people doing what I was doing there. So yeah. I thought I'll come back to Scotland. There weren't many people doing what I was doing, and I managed to do what I wanted for a bit. And I, I, I got. Uh, I came back to Edinburgh and I was living there, but I was working all over the world and thought, well, I'll give up the flat because I'm, you know, I've been working so much everywhere. I thought there's no point in having a flat. So I'll go back to my folks. Went back to my mm-hmm. folks. All the work stopped. <laughs> and it's like, oh, there's not much use for a mime in Dunoon. <laughs> you know, a mime doing dirty jokes in Scots. But um, so I, that's what led me to, to Mull. And, yeah. uh, and I'm, I'm so glad that I came. And it was, you know, this is this is home, and yeah, you just mm. go on these long, weird journeys. What is it about being in Edinburgh now that that really suits? Oh, I just realised it after after the fringe, after well, after London, I moved back to Glasgow, and I moved back because it was familiar, and also I had a friend who was looking for a flat around the same time, and we just stumbled upon a great place to live. But creatively, Edinburgh, I mean, Glasgow just felt like. And it's n- it's not a struggle. Like it, Glasgow is such a wonderful, vibrant city, but it never felt Glasgow. like anything was going in my favour. And then I had a a fringe where I was doing jams every other. Like I was I was just making loads of friends, making loads of meeting loads of musicians who were like me. And I came. I was so devastated to leave, and I just realised, oh, that's my community. That's the scene I need to be in. And it was such an effortless month of connectivity and productivity that going back to Glasgow felt like a step backwards and it felt like I was once again going into unknown territory so I just kind of decided and everything happened quite quickly so I was faffing about about whether or not to leave and then we found someone to fill my room very very quickly and everything just sort of worked out and then at the same time this friend of mine was looking for somewhere to live and then after that things kind of started rolling in the way that I'd wanted them to Fantastic. for a year. So it almost, it, it, I, I do believe in sort of fate and things aligning properly. And it just, it felt like as soon as I decided I wanted to live in Edinburgh, things started happening yeah. in a very positive way and it reaffirmed my decision. 
what's next then for for, for Cat Loud, your alter ego? Oh, <laughs> who is just me with a microphone? <laughs> um, Says you with a microphone in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> What's next? Where can where can the listener find you next? The Vault Festival in February. Mm. So um, yeah, I've got a really exciting year. So I'm doing my show uh, about the apocalypse with my friend Fraser, who plays cello, and we'll be at Vault for a night in February. Mm-hmm. I'm also very excited. I've, I've been asked to be in a show called Jock Tamsin's Bairns oh. for LG, LGBT History Month next wow. month. So I'm doing a few songs in that, which is an immersive cabaret drag experience. Wow. Um, it's going to be wonderful. So it's at the CCA, it's at the Paisley Arts Centre, oh, nice. and it's at Assembly Roxy in, cool. in February. So I do a show of jazz songs, jazz torch songs, that I'll be taking to Prague Fringe oh, in May. Steve and Carol, they're dear, dear yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So I'll be there in May with with my friend Adam, who is. Um, you are going to love up. Prague. I can't wait. I can't wait. So yeah. Adam has started up this this theatre company, uh, who's a friend from St Andrews. Gosh. But we were in very different circles in St yeah. Andrews and have now come to be yeah really good friends. So again, looking back on all these experiences. The, the greatest fruit that my time in Glasgow bore was my friendship with Adam, absolutely. Um, so he's producing and he's also an incredible writer. So he's also taking a cabaret show and we're going to be sharing a, sharing a musician. So we're sharing Fraser, who's a, who plays cello and piano because mm. he's uber talented and we hate him. Uh, <laughs> so I'll be there and then hopefully, fingers crossed, back to the festival. Fantastic. But focusing a lot more on jazz, so I've kind of come back to my old timey, my uh, inner old lady. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a bad thing. No, no, at all. George often says I've got a, <laughs> an inner old lady whose name is <laughs> Bella McGlumferty, and she's I like that. Oh, I am. I there's a lot oh, of I. Bella. <laughs> I. <laughs> Which yes, we know we all have an inner old lady. Um, so looking back about about Mull. So what has Mull given you, do you think? What what has Mull given you and what does Mull take from you? Oh, I feel like, I mean, even now I struggle to call myself a musician, but I feel like my family, I have this musical legacy, not just from my grandfather, but almost also my dad. Yeah. And I have been so hugely lucky to, pl- like I've, I've recorded a couple of tunes with my dad and yeah. that was wonderful. And I like, one of my favorite recordings of my grandfather is him. It's called Modern Medley. Mm-hmm. And he plays Me in My Shadow and then has a fiddler doing this incredible, like Stefan Grappelli oh, jazz lovely. fiddle, yeah. but to a Cayley set. And it's one of my favorite recordings to listen to because I just have this affinity with it that sometimes I'm just like, oh, if my papa was still alive, we'd be making a jazz album right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just I I just love that he was into the same things that I'm into. Yeah, totally. So my family has given me a huge sense of appreciation for all kinds of music and the social aspect of music. So something I I always remember my dad saying, not not necessarily saying verbally, but he's he is a man whose music sensibilities are very much geared towards people dancing and people enjoying a certain type of music in a certain setting. Yeah. And I always I always think about that. I always think about how music and audience are connected. Yes. Even if I do something completely different, there's still that same element of 
of asking yourself as a musician, what is this for? What is what are people what are people meant to do when you're performing this? And what are people meant to feel? And what are the social social expectations necessarily of this musical performance? Which I, I don't think I don't think he would realize that that is necessarily lessons that he's taught but they're questions i ask myself all the time because i don't i don't sing songs for people to dance to i sing no. songs for people to have private moments to yeah which is very different but it's still the same question it's still the same process of of understanding that the music is for something specifically so you have to know what that is in order for it to be effective and in order for it to land in the way that you want it to which, yeah, comes from two huge figures in my life playing music for people and knowing exactly what they were playing for. Yeah. And that's a big responsibility as a musician, but a great discipline and a great way of of crafting a set. That's That's the bottom line. You have to craft a set for something yes. and for somebody and know who it's for. Yeah. Growing up in in the town as as well, where your grandfather was such a huge figure, and everybody knows you as the granddaughter of, or the daughter of, mm-hmm. there's this kind of responsibility of carrying that name. Which again, I joke about the only place I could get drunk was Lock Allen because no one knows, knows who I am. But that was a, a huge thing for me that no one forced upon me but I felt a great sense of responsibility of being a spokesperson for the name that I carry it means something and I'm a proud person so it's that that combination of of wanting the legacy to continue but not not that I was ever pressurized into have the legacy I don't I don't think the legacy is a brand or of any kind no I just I I feel responsible and I have felt responsible from a for from my from a young age and also I mean everyone wants their dad to be proud of them. <laughs> I can guarantee you that your dad is very proud yeah. of you. I can absolutely yeah. guarantee you. Yeah. I like <laughs> yeah. you're very proud of your dad as well. But He's it's it's man. it's a it's quite a name to carry in a small place for yeah. good or for bad. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Katrina. It was just great to catch up. I know that your future is very bright and filled with extraordinary adventures yet to come. I look forward to seeing you in smoky bars, stages and screens all throughout the world in the years to come. Of course, if you're interested in any of the topics covered in this episode, you can find a host of links and images on the website on whatwedointhewinter.com. On another note, this week is tinged with sadness, as on Friday past, Duncan McGilp who I interviewed for the first episode of the podcast, passed away. Duncan was a remarkable man. It was always a pleasure to spend time in his company. Duncan's voice, knowledge and perspectives were a link to times past, but firmly rooted in the present. He was what you would call in Gaelic a sargail, the embodiment of cultural knowledge and a living champion of culture. He will be greatly missed by all that knew him and loved him. As I mentioned earlier, if you want to take part in the podcast survey to help me understand how you use and relate to what we do in the winter, I'd be very grateful. You can find a link to the survey in the text that accompanies this episode on the website and social media. And thank you to those of you who filled in the survey. It's really useful for me to understand what I'm doing and how you relate to it. As these podcasts take quite a lot of time to make, 
I'm looking to fundraise through donations. So if you feel like it and you're able to, please feel free to donate the cost of a cup of coffee or even the cost of a can of Cremola foam wherever you may be through the website. You'll see a donate tab there where you can donate if you so wished. I've also got a Patreon page for donations which you can find there under my name, Alistair Satchel. And if you wanted to contribute to that, you're very welcome. But don't worry if you don't want to or you can't. I'd much rather that you listened than you didn't. Also, to help me grow the podcast, if you want to leave a rating or a review on whichever platform you use to listen to this podcast, I'd be most grateful. Thank you to those of you that have. I really, really appreciate it. Especially to you, Tobermory Womble. <laughs> it's great to see a bit of the local lingo being used. And thank you also to those of you who reach out to say hello. It's always wonderful to hear from you. Thank you. As ever, the webpage, whatwedointhewinter.com, has all the links and info you'll need from this episode. And we can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and possibly Instagram. Thank you for listening. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. More in time. Shinu. I've just rubbed Tiger Balm into my eyes.